Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. I'm the senior pastor here at Grantham. Uh, Dave, thank you so much, and worship team and our artists here at the church. I'm just really drawn in and inspired for this new series. It's just I listen and observe uh, what we have done already this morning. You know, I often think that the poets and the artists and the uh, songwriters and musicians in a lot of ways are the prophets of today. Not all of them, but some of them. And it is a way of creating and making culture, which is some of what we're gonna talk about in this series. So grab your Bible and have that ready. We're going to open that up in just a moment. Uh, This is our fall sermon series kickoff, Christ and Culture, Following Jesus in a Fallen World. As followers of Jesus, we're called to embrace his teachings and his example, proclaim the truth of the gospel, and engage the world around us by embodying the good news. What does that look like today? As we read the Bible, we can see that it takes a mixed view of human cultures. And while many elements of culture can be affirmed, we must avoid uncritically accepting aspects of culture without first examining them in the light of Christ and the gospel. So for the next seven weeks, we'll be giving attention to how we need to contextualize the gospel, that is, apply it to today. What does it mean for us today? What does it look like lived out embodied? And to use cultural discernment as we live in the world as faithful disciples. This series is intended to both challenge and inspire us to apply the gospel to every area of life as we seek to follow Jesus in a fallen world. So unlike some series we've done here at Grantham, this series is going to build on itself a little bit. So if you happen to miss a Sunday, you want to you listen to that on the podcast, or you can do that also at our website, granthamchurch.org, uh, to follow along and see how the series builds so that you don't miss anything. We'll be in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Next week, we'll look into Genesis, uh, and also into Jeremiah, and eventually Daniel. We'll look at the cultural challenges that face the early church and maybe what lessons that we can learn uh, from them and apply them to today. So this is a weighty series, but one I'm really excited about sharing with you. So if you would pray for me, pray for each other, right, as we open up our hearts and our minds to what the Spirit would say to us. Can we do that now? Let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray for the Spirit to speak. Father, we thank you already for how you have spoken to us through music, through the reading of Scripture, through art. Lord, now as I attempt to, through the spoken word, to embody your presence, to share words that you would want us to hear. 
I surrender myself to you. We surrender ourselves to you. Lord, we want to do your will. Lord, we want to know your presence. We want to know your power to be able to live like Jesus in this fallen world. Help us to do that. In Christ's name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. If you're taking notes, and you'll see in your bulletin this morning, the title of this first message is, In the World But Not Of It, an expression you've probably heard before if you've grown up in the church. Look at this sermon focus there in the bulletin. It says this, the Bible makes a clear distinction between the people of God and the rest of the world. It's important for us, and notice I put that in quotes, to see that while also recognizing how Jesus reveals that God's posture toward them is loving, reconciling, and redemptive. So it's not an us versus them or against them, it's us for them if we look at Christ. And this has implications for how we enter and engage society and culture today. So in this first message, we're going to see how Jesus calls his followers to be in the world, but not of it. And it's very purposeful that we're starting here as opposed to Genesis next week as we go to look at what it means to be created in God's image and that God wants us to create culture, to make culture. We start here. We start with Jesus this morning. Jesus is central. Jesus is supreme. As we heard in Colossians, we'll hear a moment later, we'll hear that Jesus holds all things together. He's Lord over all things, including the Old Testament. Can I get an amen? Amen. So let's begin with the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. I'll have these up on the screen for you. John chapter 17, verses 15 through 19. This is from the New International Version. You'll notice here, I put a little uh, heading there, Jesus' final prayer to his disciples, or for his disciples. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples, we learn from other gospels, are asleep when they should be praying. They're there in the garden with him in the background. This is Jesus praying to his Father in heaven. He said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Go back to verse 15. Look at that. Jesus does not desire that we escape the world. And so if you've got some theology, or to be more specific, an eschatology, which is just a belief in future things, that has us flying away or escaping the world so God can kick it into the cosmic trash can, then you are reading the scriptures wrongly. <laughs> and the and reason I say that is because Jesus teaches and shows us something much different. Resurrection is all about affirming God's good creation, redeeming, restoring it the way he 
originally intended. So we are not to escape the world, we're not to have an escapist theology, but to know that God wants to be present, God wants to renew, restore his world. And he offers protection from Satan in the process, remembering that the battle is, in the, the battle that we fight is a spiritual one, is key to navigating the world like Christ. We'll probably see that in various ways throughout the series. That our battle is not against flesh and blood, Paul will say in Ephesians 6, but against principalities and powers and unseen places. It's so critical to remember that too when you are being asked by Jesus to love people who hate you to love people who are against you. You need to remember where our real battle is. Our real enemy is not the abortionist. Our real enemy is not the gay rights activists. Our real enemy is not the liberals or the conservatives. Our real enemy is the unseen one. Jesus calls him the devil. And this isn't some antiquated, outdated, Jesus didn't know what we know now. The devil is a personal being. And he has other personal beings that work on, their, on his behalf. So we need to remember this if we're going to navigate the world the way that Jesus does. Verse 16, look at verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. What, is, what does that mean, not of this world? You know, when I was studying the message, I encourage you to do this. You come across a, 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 a verse, you're not real sure, what, what, is, what does Jesus mean? You ask that, what does Jesus mean? He says, not of this world. Well, if you're familiar with the text, with the biblical text, and the more familiar you get with it, other scriptures should come to mind. That's, I've noticed, at least for me, that's the first step the Holy Spirit uses, right? To, to bring other scriptures into mind. Later on, in chapter 18, Jesus says something like this to Pontius Pilate. You remember that? He says, you're a king. And then Jesus says what? My kingdom is not of this World. So the same idea is in John 18:36, And Jesus there is referring to how the world operates. He said that if my kingdom operated like the kings of the world, then my followers would have fought to keep me from being arrested. Now notice Jesus didn't say, well, they, you know, I wanted them to do that so I could go to the cross and die. <laughs> that was going to happen regardless, folks. Jesus isn't just choosing a particular strategy for a particular time. This is the way of God. This is the way of the kingdom. It is nonviolent. It is non-coercive, right? It doesn't manipulate people. You taking notes? <laughs> so it's not of this world. It doesn't operate like this world. And so Jesus' people, when he says we're not of this world, we don't operate like the ways of the world. That's not our identity. It's not our tactics. It shouldn't be our strategy. Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Now that may seem like a uh, a, a very Christianese sort of word. What does that mean? If you look at the New Living Translation, it says, make them holy. Make them holy by the truth. To be holy is to be consecrated. It is to be set apart for sacred use. That's what the Bible means, right? When it says holy, to be set apart for sacred use, for God's purposes, Sanctify, holy, they have the same root meaning there. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Jesus is saying that we are to continue his mission in the world. And then verse 19, the New Living Translation says, all I, and I give myself, all of myself, as a holy sacrifice 
Jesus wants us again to do the same. In talking to his disciples just a couple chapters earlier in John chapter 15, Jesus said this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now we should ask this question when we read that. Why did the world hate Jesus? I want you to think about that. Why did the world hate Jesus? Why did people oppose Jesus? I mean, most of the time he was a nice guy. He was healing people, restoring people spiritually and, and mentally and physically. He was speaking up about injustice. I mean, what's not like about Jesus? Why would people hate him? And I want to just let that, that question hang a bit and get, let you to think, think about this and ask you to think about this. And I want to submit to you that some people hate the church for reasons that Jesus wasn't hated. Being self-righteous jerks might be a place to start. Lacking in humility, as Pastor Melissa prayed for us earlier. Verse 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, right? If you just went along with everything, then you would fit right in. The world wouldn't oppose you. You wouldn't experience any of what Jesus says he was experiencing and the church will experience if you're just going along and going with the flow. But we are not to do that. He says that we are chosen to come out, to be holy, to be set apart for Christ's purposes. Now, I know verses like these, and there are some other verses that we could find in the New Testament, which will probably come up in this series, have sometimes been read to fuel Christian animosity toward our pagan neighbors and perpetuate an us versus them thinking, which is so prevalent in the world, and we don't need more of that, right? We don't need any more of this polarization, and the church is called to actually be ministers of reconciliation, not ministers of polarization. You can put it that way. But that is a misreading, I think, when we do this, when we, when we hear the talk of the church and the world, and, and I know there's some folks who are more on the progressive end of Christianity that want to do that. There's no us and there's no them. Folks, Jesus said there was. So, and we want to stick to the words of Jesus and listen carefully to what Jesus is saying and what he means. Because we know that Jesus' posture toward an unbelieving, broken, fallen world was one that was motivated by love with a desire to redeem the world, even those who hated him. And Jesus made this clear in John chapter 3. Notice we're going back in John's gospel. Go to John chapter 3. These are verses that you should have memorized by now. If you don't, you should memorize them. They're familiar verses. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The love here that Jesus is using is the Greek word agape, which is to love one with one's whole being, to have good will toward another. God loves with his whole being the world. He has nothing but goodwill toward the world. And so he gave Jesus to prove it. And whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish. Something else we, I think, are trying to, get to, 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 to do away with because we don't like this, but it's what Jesus says. 
shall not come to ruin, shall not be destroyed, but have ionios life. That's the Greek word for eternal. And it doesn't just refer to longevity of life, like immortality, which is usually what evangelicalism has summed that up to mean, right? Except Jesus, so you have your sins forgiven, and you can die and go to heaven and live forever one day, usually in some ethereal existence on the other side of the cosmos with naked babies floating on clouds playing harps. But this is not the future that Jesus articulates for us. It's not. And the eternal life that Jesus speaks of isn't just a quantity and a longevity of life. It is a quality of life. Very literally, Jesus says, it's age to come life, right? Whoever believes shall not perish, but have age to come life. That is life of the kingdom in its fullness, which has been given to us in the present evil age. The life of Jesus. I've come to give you life and life to the full. That's life of the kingdom. That's eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Save, sozo, the Greek word there. To rescue from danger, to liberate to make well, to restore, to heal the world. All in the Greek lexicon, you can find the meaning of sozo, to save. This is what Jesus has come to do, not to condemn, not to judge it, but to save it through him. Hopefully you're already connecting dots to what this means for us and what our vocation is as followers of Jesus, as little Christ, as C.S. Lewis put it. Because this is what the gospel of Jesus is all about. Some of you remember this time last year, our fall series, The Gospel of the Kingdom. We defined the gospel and the kingdom of God in this way. I don't want us to forget these definitions because they're the ones that we use in our glossary of Grantham terms. We're actually thinking of putting together a glossary to put on the website. So you go, what does he mean by that? Well, this is what we mean when we say the good news. The gospel story of how God has been at work in the world and is now redeeming it in Jesus Christ, who will one day return to bring the fullness of the kingdom. Now notice how much more robust that definition is of the gospel rather than the truncated or reduced down simplistic or oversimplistic form that's usually given today, right? That Jesus just gives us a get out of hell free card and saves us from eternal disaster. But no, this is about a story And it is about coming into the story of God that's been revealed through the Bible, specifically in Jesus, the crucified and resurrected one. And we can become a part of this. We can share in God's redeeming, redemptive plan for creation. So what is the kingdom of God then? If he's going to one day bring the fullness of it, and now we're just getting glimpses of it. The kingdom of God is the reign and the rule of God on the earth, which always looks like Jesus. If it doesn't look like Jesus, it is not the kingdom of God. And it's not what God wants you to do. It's not what God wants you to be about. Because the kingdom of God, when it looks like Jesus, it's loving others, it's healing, it's reconciling, it's sacrificing self, it's showing mercy, it's doing justice. Folks, this is the heartbeat of God, and it's what it looks like when we're living out the gospel on the earth. 
So after the fall of humankind into sin, notice God does not abandon his good creation, nor does he ever have intentions of doing so. Rather, he moves in closer to it. He does something unexpected. Certainly the Jewish people didn't expect this in the story of God. He enters into the mess. He enters into the mess that we've created in the world, intent on redeeming not only those made in his image, but also the entire planet and the cultures we have created on it. And he does this by first becoming a part of his creation. Check that out. Here's how Eugene Peterson translated John 1.14 in the Message Bible, and I just love this. The word became flesh and blood and moved in to the neighborhood. The word became flesh and blood and moved in to the neighborhood. Wow, how did Jesus dwell among us or move into the neighborhood on planet Earth? Well, not only did God send Jesus to become a human being, but he also was born into a Jewish culture and a story with customs, traditions, values, architecture, art forms, and religious practices, much of which he embraced, not all, but a good bit of it, and that was all an expression of how one ethnic group was making sense of the world. And that's the definition for culture that we're gonna use for this series. Check this out, what is culture? Ken Myers, a Christian cultural critic, said that culture is what human beings make of the world in both senses. What are those senses? Two parts, the things that we make and the meaning that we make. And these two are interlinked. Think about this, the things that we make, art, music, literature, clothing, food, architecture, roads, etc. These things bear the mark of the creator as we were given desires to make something more than we were given. And we'll talk more about that next Sunday. But think about that, the things that we make, because the things that we make create meaning. So whether it's art or literature or clothing or food or architecture, it says something about how we're feeling. It says something, you notice a lot of the movies today are very apocalyptic in nature, very dark. A lot of the streaming TV shows, very dark. A lot of them hopeless, right? They, they create that sort of sense in you and you're like, why did I just spend 50 minutes watching that? I feel even worse about myself. But, but that's, what, that's what culture does. So some of it's good, some of it's not so good, but it is all, all of these things that we make it is, it is implying meaning, it is creating meaning, it is saying this is what we think about ourselves, this is what we think about God, even if there is a God, and what our purpose is on this planet. It sets us apart, this meaning making, right? Think about it, as creatures living on the earth, it sets us apart from others. We seek to make sense of the wonder and the terror of the world. We ask questions like, who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? What is the purpose of this thing or that thing? What is my purpose? What is the truth? Is there such a thing? 
and we communicate meaning by what we make, which is expressed in a variety of ways through culture. Therefore, the culture of a people and of a place will ultimately reflect the dominant worldview, beliefs, and values. Now you think about American culture. Think about what it is communicating. Look at it through the lens of Jesus and the gospel. What meaning have we made? And the next question is, how do we respond when it doesn't look like the life-giving culture God wants us to create? So many things about that the culture may not be inherently wrong. Hear me say this. But they may be different than what you're comfortable with. That doesn't make it wrong. But this also means in a world marred by sin, there will be aspects of human cultures that contradict, even oppose a Christian worldview, specifically the beliefs, values, and vision of Jesus and the New Testament. So when we see this, what do we do? How do we respond? We're going to unpack this a bit throughout this series, but let's just start with these four C's. Four C's to help you remember them. The first C, unhealthy postures toward culture. And my guess is you've seen some of these or maybe you're, you're living one of these out right now. The first one is to condemn it. Condemn culture. Now, if you grew up in the church, there's a good chance you likely grew up in a fundamentalist Christian context in some form or another, and you probably saw either a complete withdrawal from culture or a warring against it. I'm seeing in some of your eyes this has been an experience or at least something you're familiar with to condemn the culture. That's one unhealthy posture. And I could give lots of examples of this, but I don't feel that I probably need to. There's probably examples already coming up in your mind. The second C, to critique the culture. And in this posture, we're only interested really in discussing and debating ideas instead of creating culture. It's as if we think that we can argue people into better culture, as if we think we can argue them into the kingdom of God. But we must do more than this. This is an ultimately an unhealthy posture. It doesn't mean there shouldn't be room for some debate and, and that. I love a good debate. But to just think of it this way is unhealthy. A third C, to copy the culture. Now, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings in here. So maybe you can connect some of these dots yourself. But evangelicals do a lot of copying culture. We usually wait two, three, maybe four, five years. And then we mimic what we see happening, let's say, in the music realm. And it becomes a cheap imitation. Now, I think there's probably lots of reasons for that. It's, it's probably a very complex kind of issue because uh, it, it isn't that we can't find some good imitations or alternatives even. But isn't it interesting that when we try to do that, it's just, it's kind of bad. It's just low art. It's just, you know, it's, it's some of the worst stuff you'll ever see or listen to. And, and evangelicals have been on a steady diet of this. One of many problems 
that we've had. But this is not the posture of Jesus. And so we're gonna see in this series, this is not what God is calling us to do. Rather than copy the culture, we are to make it. We are to create it. Being inventive, being creative in all kinds of different ways. And then the last C here, and I see more and more people doing this, especially those who grew up in that fundamentalist context where we condemned or we critiqued or we just copied. Now we just consume. We just consume the culture, which involves mostly mindlessly conforming to whatever the world is putting out. This also, my friends, is unhealthy and inappropriate for followers of Jesus. You see, if we are going to, as Jesus said, be sanctified, be holy and consecrated and set apart, then we should be set apart. So what does that look like? We're gonna discuss that, address that in this series. Now, you're probably saying, well, what should we do? Well, come back next week, and then the week after that, we're gonna get to that, right? And some teasers, I've learned from these shows. And some, you know, it's like, what, they ended it there? But notice, notice three of these postures are just reactions to culture. And of course, the last one, consuming culture, is just wholesale capitulation to it. Everyone else is doing it. It's just easier not to think and to discern. It just hurts my brain. Should my kids have a smartphone? Should they be on TikTok? Should they watch these movies? I just don't want to think about it. I'll just give it to them. It's just one example. I think about this because I'm a parent. My oldest is, is very quickly, more quickly than I would like, approaching adolescence. But again, this can't be the answer, right? Just to give in and just, just become a part of whatever the world is dishing out and saying all the cool kids are doing it. Rather, we should see ourselves, as I said, creating and making culture, working the yeast of the kingdom in it from within it. That's what God wants. That's what we're gonna see, which we should do because the scripture tells us that it all belongs to Jesus. That's what we heard this morning. Kira read this for us. It all belongs to Jesus, and his aim is to redeem and reconcile the world and to fill it with his glory. Let's look at that again. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Oh, how poetic. I love that. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Look at that, verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so then everything he might have the supremacy. Now notice Paul is connecting this idea. Jesus is the prototype. Jesus is the first to go through death to be raised on the other side of it. There's a continuity with the old creation, but something new, something drastically different has happened. He was walking through walls or peering in locked rooms, but yet he ate fish and people touched him. What's up with that? This is the new world that's come to us in Jesus. And because Jesus was the firstborn from among the dead in this way, everything 
should come under submission to Christ, that everything he might have the supremacy, Paul says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, all of God, right? God looks like Jesus. He's always looked like Jesus. We've not always known this, but we know this now. Hallelujah. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And the cross being this image reflecting just how much God loves us. So let's be clear about this. Culture is what we make of this world. And God wants us to make things and make meaning and yet be mindful of the fact that the world will make things and make meaning that do not reflect God's glory nor will it testify to the goodness of God and his will for humanity that Jesus Christ revealed to us in his life and ministry. So we must seek to be in the world but not of it. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8, he begins this way, for you once were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. The New International Version says, children of light. Live as children of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. In verse 10, he says, carefully determine, that is discern what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Now, that's not like we're going to expose you. This isn't with guilt and with shame. But it is like bring what is in the darkness into the light. This is the idea that Paul has. Don't, don't, don't become desensitized to the things of the world, to the evil of the world. But yet, be sober-minded, be wise, children of the light, Paul says here, and discern what pleases Christ. Paul is saying that Jesus wants us to be fully present in the world. We need to hear this, to be fully present in the world and to the world as wise, discerning children of the light. And so, if we hear the words of our Lord this morning, as well as the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians, we can hear the Spirit saying to us who are disciples of Jesus, number one, remember who you are and whose you are. Remember your identity, your true identity. You live in the world, but you do not belong to it. You belong to Christ, body and soul. And number two, to live in a fallen world, we must carefully determine what is in keeping with our faith and what is not. Therefore, this first message, brothers and sisters, is a call, and I hope that you hear it, a call to cultural discernment, recognizing who we are, whose we are, and that we're called to be in the world but not of it, to discern God's will together. Not to condemn, critique, copy, or consume, but to discern God's will as we enter the world and embody the gospel like the son that he sent. Amen. Finally, here's some questions for reflection and to help us respond together. Are you a follower of Jesus this morning? 
And have you taken seriously the call to be in the world, but not of it, right? To be holy and set apart. I want you to think about that this morning. Because it's very possible, because I understand these forces, that for some of us, we've just sort of been on cruise control. Because we don't like that upbringing that we had, which was condemn it. And so we're just kind of on cruise control on it. And maybe we need to be reminded this morning of who we are and whose we are, and that we're called to discern. Have you taken that seriously? Number two, are you gravitating toward any unhealthy postures toward the world and culture? Neil, can you put that slide up with those four C's? I want us to look at that as part of our reflection here and ask yourself, am I gravitating toward one of these unhealthy postures? I'll give you a second to think about that. Holy Spirit, help us to be honest. Set us free. And then lastly, let's look at number three. How is Jesus inviting you to see the world the way he does? To be fully present, wise, discerning children of the light. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the words that you've given to us from your son Jesus. Lord, we are excited by this idea that you want us to create culture. You want us to make art. You want us to make music. You want us to dream and to imagine and be creative. Again, to create culture that makes meaning. But you also want us to be aware of the unhealthy postures when we misunderstand what it means to be in the world but not of it. And then we just mimic the world, its polarization, its ugliness, its us against them. Lord, help us not to do that. Deliver us this morning, Lord, from one of these unhealthy postures or all of them, Lord. Show us the way of Jesus so that we can be discerning children of the light. It's in Christ's name that we pray.